the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Anti-government protests in Iran lead to 17 people being killed. This has been going on much, much more stringently since the election of this current government. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot lashes out at the McDonald's CEO who claims crime is the reason business is leaving the city. I will take my business to a city or state that has a well-funded police, and the crime rate is not as crazy as Chicago. California considering a ban on diesel trucks by 2040. I think this is a horrible idea, something that they think looks good on paper. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, September 23rd. I'm Mike Scott. Hurricane Fiona pummeling the Caribbean with devastating winds, catastrophic flooding, and widespread power outages. Food for the Poor has been serving the poorest nations in that part of the world for more than 40 years. And they are responding again now during this time of crisis. Hurricane relief kits containing food, water, hygiene kits, and medical supplies, along with other critically needed items, are already being distributed throughout Puerto Rico. The Dominican Republic and Haiti getting these supplies as well. You can support this effort by giving your best gift now. Just text DAYBREAK to 91999 and we'll send you a link to give. Families have lost everything and need our help. Anything you can do will help Food for the Poor bring aid to these families. Just text DAYBREAK to 91999 and we'll send a link so you can give. As one of of the largest faith-based international relief agencies in the U.S., Food for the Poor is able to respond quickly and efficiently to disasters like this. But they can't do it without your generous support. Please give what you can now. Text DAYBREAK to 91999. On Thursday, state-run media in Iran attested to the fact that at least 17 people have been killed in anti-government protests that have been spreading across the country. The protests come in response to the death of a woman detained by what the country calls its morality police for apparently not covering her hair as required by Iran's strict Islamic law. 22-year-old Masa Amini was arrested last week by the morality police while visiting the capital of Tehran. The group accused her of wearing unsuitable attire. She died in detention three days later, with officials saying she suffered a heart attack. Critics believe She was beaten after an image surfaced of her bruised, bloodied, and then intubated body. In response, the United States has imposed sanctions on the morality police and other Iranian government officials. 
Correspondent Christian Anampur, who was scheduled to interview Iranian President Ibrahim Rossi, had Rossi pull out of the interview when Anampur refused to wear a headscarf. Anampur said the Rossi's government has decided to crack down on women's dress. You're seeing not just the protests, you're seeing women go on social media, cutting their hair in protest. You see some in the streets, even elderly women, we saw at least one, burning their hijabs. This has been a, a pattern of protest for several years, but this is the most uh, large-scale ones now, and it's because this young woman was killed. At least that's what her parents are saying, and that's what her family is saying, because they say she was wrongly taken in by the morality police. They say she was wearing her scarf, she had no makeup on, she was visiting Tehran and was you know, caught up in a dragnet of these people who drive around, stand at intersections, have their vans and just, you know, bring in all sorts of women and young girls who they say are not dressed modestly enough. And I have to say that this has been going on much, much more stringently since the election of this current government. Very hardline government in Iran comes after the more reformist government of President Rouhani. And the women are always the barometer. And this government has chosen to crack down hard on social, you know, social norms and society. Amanpour explains why she didn't wear a headscarf for her interview. It's very unsettling because we were going to have the first uh, exclusive here in New York. He'd already done an interview uh, in Iran with 60 Minutes where the headscarf was also an issue. But there, because it is the custom, one always does wear the headscarf when, when one's there. That's just otherwise you couldn't operate as a journalist here in New York or anywhere else outside of Iran, I have never been asked by any Iranian president, and I have interviewed every single one of them since 1995, either inside or outside Iran, never been asked to wear a headscarf. After hours of, of getting this interview ready, having pre-talks with the president's officials, um, giving them sort of an idea of what we wanted to ask about, uh, not questions, obviously, but an idea, they knew exactly we wanted to talk about the nuclear deal. We want to talk about Iran's support for Russia against Ukraine. And most importantly, we want to talk about the violation of human rights. At the very end, they come up with this, you know, it's a religious month of mourning and we need you to wear a headscarf. And I very politely declined on behalf of myself and CNN and female journalists everywhere because it is not a, a requirement. And it was lobbed at us at the very last minute. And very unfortunately, they decided to pull, you know, pull the interview. So it, it's a problem. And we've had, you know, for instance, the foreign minister of Sweden and others, you know, pro, criticize these these protests and the crackdown, the violent crackdown in Iran and saying women's rights there need to be respected. Amanpour goes on to speculate that Rossi pulled out of the interview because, in her opinion, he did not want to be seen with a woman without a headscarf while his country is cracking down on women who don't wear them. I think if I could just guess... And how do I read it? I think that they, he did not want to be seen with a female without a headscarf in this moment, either because he calls it a religious month or because people would say, how come he's sitting down with a, a an, you know, foreign journalist who's not wearing a, a headscarf, and yet inside Iran they're cracking down on, on, on young women who are not wearing their headscarves. But the fact of the matter is the women are wearing their headscarves. Sometimes in protest, they take them off. But they, the, the, the authorities, and I know because I've been there and seen it, each 
each year they change their, 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 you know, their boundaries and their lines. Sometimes the headscarf has to be here. Sometimes it's okay if it's here. You just never quite know what the parameters are. And these women have fallen foul of that. No matter how these protests may seem to those on the outside, Amanpour says that the Iranian government will crack down hard. Some people I know on the outside say, is this the end? Is this a a counter-revolution? But I do not think that's the case. I don't think the numbers are there. And I do know, because I've experienced it myself, for instance, in 2009, that the regime has all the power and will crack down very hard. Amini's death has sparked Iran's biggest mass protest since at least 2019, when public anger over skyrocketing gas prices drew huge crowds into the street. On Thursday, world leaders at the UN called for Russia to be held accountable for human rights violations in Ukraine. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, speaking with the UN, says that investigators are still uncovering signs that Russia has committed war crimes. As we assemble here, Ukrainian and international investigators continue to exhume bodies outside of Izium a city Russian forces controlled for six months before they were driven out by Ukrainian counteroffensive. One site contains some 440 unmarked graves. A number of the bodies unearthed there so far reportedly show signs of torture, including one victim with broken arms and a rope around his neck. Speaking through an interpreter, Russian ministry spokesman Sergei Lavrov accused Ukraine of creating threats against Russian security adding that countries supplying weapons to Ukraine and training its soldiers were parties to the conflict. Such outrages remain unpunished because the United States and their allies, with the connivance of international human rights have been covering up the the, the, uh, crimes of the Kiev regime. Meanwhile, French President Emmanuel Macron, one of the few Western leaders who still speaks with Vladimir Putin, joined CNN and said that Putin is making another mistake in calling up 300,000 reservists. It's hard to me to to give an explanation. I think this is not the most rational decision, for sure. When he decided to launch his war, the 24th of February, I think he made a, a first mistake, a huge one. And he decided to put Russia in a situation, indeed, to, to be the new imperial country, and to launch a colonial war. During the past few months, I have to say that all of us were very impressed by the reaction and the resistance of Ukrainian people. We helped them from a military point of view, humanitarian point of view, economic point of view, but they did resist. And I think they they did and they do much better than a lot of people thought a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Macron says that he believes that Russia's invasion of Ukraine may, in part, be have been caused by the isolation of COVID and resentment. Now, I think after the counteroffensive, Vladimir Putin is much more under pressure. And after especially some clear statements made by a lot of leaders, not just Western leaders. A few months ago, Vladimir Putin conveys a message. I was aggressed by NATO. They triggered the situation, and I just reacted. Now it's clear for everybody that the leader who decided to go to war, the leader who decided to escalate, 
is President Putin. And I have no rational explanation. I think this is a series of um, resentments. This is a strategy of hegemony in the region. And I would say this is a post-COVID-19 consequence. Isolation. Because he's been so isolated? I think so. I think so. The French president goes on to say that continued dialogue with Russia is necessary because they were able to get a team inside to inspect the nuclear power plant at Zaporizhia. I think in his own logic, I'm not saying this is an explanation or, or I don't give any excuse, but we have to take into consideration that there is a lot of resentment on the Russian side. He has a feeling that post-1990s, we, uh, we didn't respect him properly. I think it's not a reason to do what he, what he did. It's part, but it's his mindset. It's his mindset. So we have to understand that because it's always more efficient to be respected and to try to find a way forward when you have this discussion. Third, I think it's useful because, for instance, thanks to this dialogue, we managed to organize this mission with the international agency to go to the, to the nuclear plant of Zaporizhia, mm-hmm. to have an independent mission. And we are, I hope, finalizing a very important agreement to protect this nuclear plant. When asked if the UN is failing at its charter with having Russia on the Security Council, Macron had this to say. I don't think so, because nobody proposed an alternative order or more efficient one. I think I... I, I You can understand why people are skeptical of the UN, though, when you have the Russia on the Security Council. But for sure, this is true, but this is how our world functions. I mean, we are in favor of a reform of the Security Council to especially have a better uh, representativity of the African continent and and some emerging countries. But I, I do believe that our responsibility is to make this international order functioning. But... We have to preserve our values and the charter. Everybody is at stake because we are speaking about respect of sovereignty and territorial integrity. And, and it's exactly why we built this charter post-World War II and after the colonization era. The CEO of McDonald's asserted that workers in his company didn't want to travel to Chicago due to crime in the city. Everywhere I go, I'm confronted by the same question these days. What's going on in Chicago? There is a general sense out there that our city is in crisis. The truth is, it's more difficult today for me to convince a promising McDonald's executive to relocate to Chicago from one of our other offices than it was just a few years ago. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot lashed out, saying the CEO needed to, quote, educate himself, end quote. Well, I think that um, what would have been helpful is for the McDonald's CEO to educate himself um, before he spoke. We've had, though, some productive conversations with other members of his leadership team. I think you saw um, that McDonald's itself put out a full-page ad uh, talking about their full support of um, the city of Chicago. Um, I'm going to look on uh, productive engagement and not look in the rearview mirror. But it's not just the McDonald's CEO that's sounding an alarm. Other businesses have announced they are moving their headquarters out of Chicago, many saying that a rise in crime is the biggest factor. 
According to many reports, crime has risen 34 percent since last year. Chicago's deadliest year in a quarter century was 2021, with 797 homicides, the most since 1996, and 25 more than were recorded in 2020. Moreover, there were 3,561 shooting incidents in 2021, which is just over 300 more than were recorded in 2020, and a staggering 1,415 more than in 2019. Teresa Ging, the owner of the bakery Sugar Bliss, joined Fox Business and said that the rise in crime has her considering moving her business elsewhere. I've been in Chicago for about 15 years. Uh, we're just seeing the crime escalate. Um, now it's like every week there's a couple incidences, um, and it's just not great. Um, last Friday we had a man come in and destroy um, stuff off a counter, attempt to steal a purse until we snatched it back and try to assault someone. And um, it took 40 minutes for the police to come. And as of a week from now, uh, our, it's um, no response from the mayor. Ging says that the leadership in Chicago is the problem. It's definitely coming up from leadership. Um, I blame the mayor. Um, there's just no priority of crime. Um, you know, this is a great city and you need to figure out the crime. I also blame the state's attorney, Kim Fox. Um, she passed the no cash bail, which, uh, as we know, in New York, um, that happened a couple years ago and crime has escalated. And that's just going to happen in Chicago as well. And starting January 1st, there is a, we used to trespass, you get arrested, and now it's just a ticket. And, I mean, nobody's going to flinch with a ticket. So you have all these lax right. um, laws that are going in place that are making it harder for police to do their job. Ging goes on to say that she's considering taking her business where crime is not as bad. I've had my store for 15 years in the downtown loop. Um, we've, you know, survived recession, survived COVID, you know, we're coming out of COVID and, um, you know, I, I don't want to shut my business down in the loop. And I've, we've gotten numerous phone calls, emails since, you know, um, last Monday. Uh, but, you know, I want the city to actually take um, responsibility for this and the leadership. And if they don't do it quick enough, I am going to look at um, moving my business. Um, we're looking at manufacturing and co-packers for our new cookies that we just recently launched in retailers. And I will take my business to a city or state that has a well-funded police, and the crime rate is not as crazy right. as Chicago. A few weeks ago, California regulators made headlines when they banned gas-powered cars by 2035. Now, regulators of the Golden State are considering a ban on new diesel trucks by 2040. Alex Mai, host of the Asian Mai Show, a verified channel on YouTube that discusses all news related to trucking and the trucking business, explains the proposal. The situation at hand is uh, new big rigs and other trucks will have to have zero emissions in 2040, ending their decades-long reliance on high-polluting diesel under a proposed regulation unveiled by the, of course, CARB California Air Resource Board, right? And so 
Under this proposal, manufacturers couldn't sell new medium-duty and heavy-duty trucks filled by diesel or gasoline that operate in California, instead turning to electric models. In addition, large trucking companies would have to gradually convert their existing fleets to zero-emission vehicles, buying more over time until all zero emissions by 2042. Mai says that, in his opinion, it is a bad idea and it would simply be too expensive for drivers to convert all of their big rigs. I think this is a horrible idea, something that they think looks good on paper, but there are so many truck drivers in California as it is uh, that won't have the money to electrify their semi-trucks. Uh, yeah, they talk about a, a tax break for going electric, but these trucks are $500,000. Even if you get a $250,000 tax break, you're still paying $250,000 for a electric semi-truck. However, Tesla's CEO Elon Musk announced last month that the Tesla semi would start shipping by the end of 2022. Diesel semi-trucks can travel 2,100 miles on a single tank, while Tesla's electric version will only have a range of about 500 miles. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has established the goal of procuring only 100% zero-emission light-duty vehicles by 2027 and will extend the same standard to all vehicles in the federal government's fleet by 2035. Following the lead from the U.S.'s Federal Reserve, central banks around the world are raising interest rates as well in an effort to cool global inflation. Bankrate.com senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick says there continues to be supply chain issues, which began during the pandemic and led to some major inflation issues. Chairman Powell basically said that there has been some improvements in supply chain disruptions, but not enough to really uh, celebrate. Hamrick says many other countries are also starting to raise interest rates. We're seeing an extraordinary series of moves by central banks around the world, and not exclusive to Europe, but in places such as uh, Indonesia and the Philippines, moving their benchmark interest rates up. And this is all in reaction to a common foe, which is inflation. And finally, we all know that air travel can be a real hassle. This airline company wanted to change that with a ukulele lesson. Every passenger on a Southwest Airlines flight from Long Beach, California to Honolulu got a free ukulele and an in-flight lesson on September 16. We are with Guitar Center Lessons. We are so excited to be partnering with Southwest Airlines to give you a free ukulele, gift bag, and a beginner class right here on this plane for the very first time in history. Thank you all for joining us today. So we're we'll going to be doing a ukulele lesson. Your first string, so string number one. Then we're going to go up, string two, three, and four. Okay? So today, just for sake of convenience, everyone, we're going to play it in our right-handed fashion, meaning that the headstock is going to face towards the left-hand side. 
Another important note, on top of the head, we have these four pegs. Those are called our tuning pegs. Don't touch those. <laughs> okay, um, so that's how we keep our strings in tune. We have, and we're going to place that on the second fret. Okay, that's the second space. These passengers say that the memories made on this trip were irreplaceable. No, I'd never played a ukulele, and the lesson was fantastic. We actually, it looked a little difficult at first, and uh, they kind of walked us through it, and it was fun. It was, it really was a blast. Yeah, a fun keepsake memory. Uh, yeah. Insane memory. I, mean, I don't even know if it's real. It's so, <laughs> so wild. But, right. Thank you, Southwest. Mahalo, uh, Southwest. Right, yeah, Mahalo, thank you. Thank you, Southwest, and uh, Guitar Center. It was, that was amazing. Prior to the pandemic, Southwest was known for these onboard surprise and delight programs, but they've been on pause since the travel downturn. The three instructors on board were from Guitar Center's Pearl City store. Guitar Center also offered to ship the ukuleles back to the passengers' homes free. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.